Hello. Welcome. Welcome to the Heart of an Underdog show with Javi and Jessica Madrigal, where we talk about overcoming and adapting with your your huge health challenges that you have to overcome and to live a fulfilling life full of purpose, the life that you really want to have. We are absolutely here for it. Thank you so much for joining us for all of your downloads on our podcast. Thank you for being the most amazing audience ever, being those underdogs that are willing to overcome your health challenges. We super appreciate you joining us. Today, we are super excited. We have really been looking forward to this interview with Dr. Skip Mondragon. He is an absolute joy. He has been through everything you think you could possibly have been through. And I, I can't wait to share his story with you. Uh, Dr. Uh, Donald G. Skip Mondragon, MD, this is such an amazing bio, has practiced internal medicine, adult medicine for over 30 years. Colonel Mondragon is a 26-year Army veteran, spent 30 months in combat zones, and is a national veterans wrestling champion. During his last year in the Army, Skip became a casualty, however, of depression. As he recovered, he was called to help men struggling with this dark disease by speaking and writing. His book, Wrestling Depression is Not for Wimps, was published in February of 2020. Skip's true claim to fame are his five independent and gainfully employed, employed children, his four amazing grandchildren, and especially his wife, Sherry. She's his best friend, lover, and fellow author. Sherry has endured raising teenagers on her own, a variety of moves to new duty stations, and far too many of his idiosyncrasies during 40 years of marriage. I would say, any man would say that that's probably his greatest accomplishment is 40 years of marriage successfully. Look at all those grandchildren and children. I cannot wait for you to meet Dr. Mondragon. Welcome. Hello. Thank you, Jessica. How are you? And hey. thank you, Javi. I am well. Thank Good morning. you. Good morning. We are, Good we have morning to you. absolutely been waiting, awaiting your interview because we've talked to you several times and it has been an absolute joy every time. Um, yeah. No, you know, yeah, absolutely right. When Jess said that we've been looking forward to it, we really have because you have so many, um, so many uh, good examples and so, such a great story of what you went through. And it really brings out the essence of what the show is all about and what we're trying to accomplish here and help people to really understand that they, they, the underdog within them when they're facing adversity mm -hmm. and really identifying the things that um, we all kind of face in life one way or another. So, but no, we, we just welcome you and appreciate you so much and showing up here and being on our broadcast. Absolutely. Hey, listen, so what I want to dive into first is, um, you know, our audience doesn't know you yet. Obviously, we've met you, but I'd love for you to tell them a little bit about who you are. Um, you know, what do you do in life now? What's life like now? And then we can jump into your story. But let's get to know you just a little bit more. Well, let me just back up a little bit. I'm the third of eight children. I have four younger brothers, a younger sister and two older sisters grew up with parents of meager means in uh, Denver, Colorado. Unfortunately, when my father came back from the Korean War, he was a broken man. My mother, my older cousins, my Auntie Mary, his older sister, tell me that he was not the same man that came back, the same man who went to war. He mm -hmm. suffered from alcoholism, mental illness, and when he drank, he was violent. 
and didn't understand how mm -hmm. violent he was towards my mother until I was into my 30s. See, I don't have memories really before the age of seven. So I have basically blocked that out. <clears throat> Thankfully, my mother remarried uh, when I was 12 and my daddy, the most amazing man that I've ever known, <clears throat> pardon me, changed our lives in many, many dramatic fashions. And really at the age of 13, my life took a dramatic shift because I was this small kid, typically the smallest in my class. I was shy. I was awkward. We moved a lot. So I was the new kid on the block frequently. I was inept at any sport I tried. I couldn't run. I couldn't throw a ball. I couldn't catch a ball. I couldn't kick a ball. I tell people, hey, I failed at tetherball. <laughs> We'd go out to the playground and they'd go to choose teams. I was the last kid chosen. And then this chorus would go up by my team. Ah, oh, why does he have to be on our team? <laughs> Oh, man, I so identify with that. Yeah, totally. <laughs> but in eighth grade, I discovered wrestling. It was the first time I ever had this inkling. I think I can be good at this. And after a few practices, I think I can be really good at this. Although I had an inauspicious start. I didn't win a match for two years. First year, I was on the varsity team, and it was inexperienced. The second year... Matter of fact, I was the only eighth grader on the varsity team. Second year, I'd get so anxious and worked up before a match, I wouldn't get a week of sleep the night before. So I'd be utterly emotionally and physically exhausted when I go out on the mat. That summer after ninth grade, I went to a freestyle, one of the Olympic style tournaments. It was a state tournament. And I win my very first match. And I won my second match. And I won my third match won my match. Now I'm wrestling for the championship in my fifth match. And I won. My coach asked me afterwards, what, do you know who this kid is? I had no idea. He said, well, he won this tournament last year. And of course, that only bolstered my love for the sport, my determination. I graduated high school, two-time district champion, state runner-up, and honorable mention All-American. And along the way, I won multiple state freestyle tournaments placed in two national freestyle tournaments. Later had a very mediocre college career. We'll talk a little bit later about it. You know, decades later when I picked up the wrestling bug. Fast forward, uh, undergrad where I met my wife, Sherry. See, I had no plans of getting involved with a girl. My heart had been broken. And it took me three years to get over that relationship. So I was mm -hmm. transferring into Oral Roberts University. And that's a story in of itself. But I go to Oral Roberts University. And I, the, the reason I chose ORU is because their philosophy, educating the whole man, body, mind, and spirit. Mm -hmm. So I get there. And my determination was I am not getting involved with the girl. No, 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 no. Girls, who needs them? You take your time, you take your money, and they take your heart. <laughs> time, I got to study and get in medical school. Money, I didn't have any money. 
and heart. No way. I'm not giving my heart away. I met Sherry my very first week at Old Roberts University. <laughs> and she ruined my plans. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So graduate from ORU, go on to medical school. And I signed up or, or applied for an Army uh, scholarship to go to medical school. And it was so I could go debt-free through medical school other than owing the Army time. I didn't want to be tethered to loans, owe a bank money, owe loans to go through medical school. And that would allow me also to get married. So between the meager stipend that my, I made through the Army through my scholarship and what my wife made through her fellowship as a graduate student, we made it through medical school Had our first child. It fraught with lots of medical issues. I mean, he, he had l- numerous medical issues, seven and a half weeks preemie, small for gestational age and a rare, 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 exceedingly rare genetic um, anemia. In fact, this anemia there less than 50 people in the U.S. that have this, and that's how exceedingly rare it is. So we graduate from medical school, residency. I didn't get a civilian residency as I expected, or or an Army uh, internship, end up uh, doing a civilian residency in Canton, Ohio. It so happened the year I arrived there, a retired Brigadier General by the name of Andre J. Ogdenbein, is there his first year. He's the program director for both the transitional year, which I was doing, which is basically you're doing a few months in each in variety of specialties. But the, I was planning going into physical medicine and rehabilitation. And he was also the program director for internal medicine. Through a series of events, I decided I want to train under Dr. Ogden, most amazing bedside clinician and um, academician in medicine that I've ever known. So I train under him, we graduate uh, internship and then residency. I end up then in the army active duty, our first duty station was Fort Sill, Oklahoma. There we had our second child and our third child in residency and then we're on active duty. So each time we, we made moves for the first matter of years we had a new child or young children in tow. So Adam was Adam was about 14 months old when we moved. No, I guess Adam was barely just a little over a year. First time we moved going to re- uh, residency. And then when we left residency going on active duty, Adam was four, Chris was two, and Angelie was six months old. Or, or rather, four months old. <laughs> wow. wow! So you are already um, overcoming so many things before you ever really. Your whole story about depression happened so much later. You you were primed to be overcoming things the rest of your life with just your life um, journey, the journey that you were you know, called to. All of the things with your profession and you know your military career and all of the things like you've done so many amazing things before you ever get to this point where in, in later in your story with when you're writing your book and you're helping people, it's like a whole new season yes. 
a whole new level. Right. It's like leveling up in a video game. You just leveled <laughs> up like crazy. You said, this is what I'm going to do. It's like level 10, let's bring it. I, I beat the boss and now I'm going to do this. And now, so there's a new boss to beat, you know? And so it's kind of like, that's why I see your life. It's like some people have their just regular lives. You know, they're not really, there's not a whole lot to talk about. And then all of a sudden something will hit them. And then they have this big story where you have story after story after story. And it's just incredible. So go ahead. Sorry. I wanted to hear more. <laughs> so Fort Steel, at Fort Steel, we have our fourth child, Jonathan, our second youngest. He was born 11 days after I got back from Desert Shield, Desert Storm. And then we leave Fort Steel and we go to Walter Reed Army Medical Center and was doing a fellowship in general internal medicine and Got my MPH, my master's in public health from Uniformed Services University in Bethesda, Maryland. And there our fifth child is born, Joey. And so when we left Walter Reed, we had five children in tow. Adam would have been, let me get this right, when we get to San Antonio, eight, six, four. Wow. No, Adam would have been, I think, nine, seven, nine, seven, five. Three, no, no, eight, six, four. <laughs> <laughs> so happens we have like Joey, kids. Yeah, and, and Joey was an yeah. infant, so Joey was six months old. How many times have you called your children the um, wrong name? Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, a thousand yeah. times. Oh, yeah. uh, you know who we're talking about, uh, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, Pretty soon it's hey you, your parents. You know your mom. No, mom, I'm. Yeah, I, you know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> but we left Let's there. Do what I'm telling Brooke you. Army Medical Center, which was my favorite duty station. Oh my gosh, love uh, San Antonio. That was an ideal time for the kids and where we lived there. And just a wonderful city. Deployed to Haiti the end of our time at Brook Army Medical wow. Center, then was Fort Hood for a number of years. Deployed the first time to Iraq during Operation Desert, uh, uh, or rather, Operation Iraqi Freedom One. And there I had to work with the storied 101st Airborne Division in uh, Mosul, Iraq. And my last four months there, I had to work with General Petraeus and his amazing staff with the 101st Airborne Division. At that time, he was a major general, two-star general. But my two senior colleagues were leaving to come back to the U.S. early. They turned to me and said, Skip, we believe you should be the officer in charge of the hospital here. I'm thinking, wow, because oh, uh, I was good. I was a senior person. Yeah. And I'm thinking, I don't know. You know, I didn't say it out loud. They said, why don't you think about it? And I'm thinking, I don't know. Uh, actually, my response was uh, more like, I know what good health care looks like. I know what great health care looks like. I know how to put a health care team together. All this other stuff, force protection, taking care of the, the safety of the hospital, logistics, uh, all yeah. these air evacuation, everything else. I have no clue. So my, I'm thinking to myself, hell no and hell no is really what I was thinking. I didn't say it. <laughs> that's what I was thinking. And so I'm you know, emailing back and forth with my wife and that I asked the advice of a, of a colleague of mine who was on my staff back at Fort Hood. Dave Gifford and Dave, he had commanded three or four different hospitals. And he said, well, I think you ought to rethink that, Skip, because when decisions are made around the table, that was his advice, 
the hospital is going to need an 06, a colonel, to represent itself. And I thought, hmm, maybe he's right. So over a course Good of the point. week, my feelings about it changed from no, hell no, to, you know, I think I really want this job. And the scripture that came to mind was the story about Esther and how her uncle Mordecai, when the Jewish nation is great peril of being wiped out, that he comes to her and says, for such a time as this, Esther, you've been brought to this position. And that's what kept running through my mind for such a time as this. I love and that. so I accepted the position and it turned out to be the highlight really of my time in the army working with General Petraeus, his staff. But I was in charge of 220 personnel, everything that went on the hospital, the Medicare or, or the medical care, the air evacuation, logistics. Now, mind you, I didn't understand all of that, really. The medical care, yes. You know, that's that's my daily work. But all of this stuff, no. But I had a great staff, and they understood that. And they could advise me. And, of course, the buck stopped with me. And so mm -hmm. that was, and I set four major goals for us. One, to provide excellent medical care. Two, to seamlessly transfer our care to the 67th Comet Support Hospital. Three to, what was the third one? Two, oh, three to get all of our personnel safely home and four to honor God. And so when we arrived back uh, to the U.S., I knew we had provided outstanding care. We had seamlessly transferred our care over to the 6th Combat Support Hospital. All of our personnel came home safely, and I knew in my heart God had been honored. So... I was so grateful for that. And honoring God. I mean, I love that you put that in because isn't that the the, the main thing in, in, in the, at the end of the day? It's like, you know, if we haven't had our plans carried out at the end of the day, but we know we honored God, we know we've been successful. That's the beauty of honoring God is that, you know, even if our, our things that we had, ex, our expectations we had put in place, the plans that we had made or the way that we thought it was going to work out, if at the end of the day, I know I did what God asked me to do, not what everybody else asked me to do or what thoughts I had, then that's such a, a, a nice um, place to be yes. because you just yes. know, even when I don't have control, I'm still successful. I'm still in alignment with God, with my creator. And so that's such an amazing point that you make, even though I know that's just a small part of your story. That's such an amazing thing that not everybody gets to experience is going through a, a you know something where they feel like I went through an entire experience where I at the end not only was successful but I also honored God. Yes, yes, that's awesome. So moving, jumping forward from there, so you've got all of these this military experience. You you have these all these highlights. you you and your wife have successfully managed <laughs> to build a giant family and like <laughs> while on the road, which is incredible <laughs> to me. Um, and then you also, you know, of course, what, all while honoring God, having it, like you said, a, a successful marriage, uh, which long distance and, you know, military families is not always the case. Um, so you, you've managed to do all these things in life successfully, but what would you say led up to this, um, this point in your life where you found yourself struggling with depression? It was a perfect story. I started experiencing some insomnia about, oh, about 18 months before I was going to retire. Sherry and I knew we were going to retire at the end of 2014. So we had submitted our paperwork uh, with that intention. And so we knew that was on the horizon. And then in the summer of 2013, I began to experience insomnia. 
And there were some things going on in my, my department, the Department of Medicine, that were going to impact patient care, impact graduate medical education, education for residents, visiting residents and medical students. I took it personally. I could not have changed what was going on. And this was involving dialysis and the cardiac catheterization lab. And so it was going to have that impact. I took it as the responsibility for it, albeit I couldn't have done anything about it. And I began to beat myself up about, oh, gee, this is going to have this. And I began to ruminate on it, think about it. And my sleep got worse. My mood started to darken. And things just started to, to drop here with that. My confidence started to wane. I became more indecisive. Then I had three surgeries in seven months. And with each successive mm. surgery, it threw me out of my normal routine. Intense exercise, my diet with some cases was, was disrupted. And in each case, it really exacerbated the insomnia. And yeah, it just got worse. So an hour of trouble falling asleep, two hours, three hours, four hours, you know, get up. Not how many times during the night? Got to the point at its worst where I would long for one to two hours of sound sleep. Meanwhile, then these negative thoughts, you don't deserve to be a colonel. You're a fake. You've let your department down. You've let the, your family out. Who's going to want to hire you? And then my mentation started going off my cognition. I was having trouble remembering. What did I read five minutes before? What was the name of that medication? Uh, I, what's that medical syndrome? So you're talking with somebody, you're talking to a patient, and you can't pull up that answer. It's like you're running through the files in your mind, and you can't find that information. It's like, oh, my gosh. I thought I was suffering from pre-senile dementia. So all of this yeah. is going on over this course of months, moving through 2013. I had a little, uh, and then at the end of 2013, it was over Christmas vacation, I'd had a, a knee surgery. And that was fraught. The, the other thing about three series surgeries, each of them were fraught with a complication. <laughs> oh, yeah. Every single yeah. one had a complication. And so I'm, I'm dealing with the complication with my knee surgery and recovering over Christmas. So I had the surgery over Christmas time. So it would least impact time off from work. And I remember telling Sherry during that time, I am utterly utterly exhausted physically, emotionally, and spiritually. I remember telling her that. See, I didn't have enough insight to step back and say, Skip, what's going on? What's going on here? There's more to this than simply the surgery. And part of that is born out of this tough guy. See, I'm a tough guy. I'm a wrestler because in 2012, I decided I wanted to compete again. And so with the help of my youngest son, Joey, my training partner, my manager, and my trainer, we prepared to go to the Veterans Nationals. And I won my National Championship, I can get this straight. So we can't hold on just a second. We can't skip over that. So just let me I'm gonna pause there because first of all, for our audience, if you're just joining us, 
you have you have to go back and listen to the first half of this this interview because this is Dr. Skip Mondragon. He is an incredible human being, and he's just sharing with us his story. But part of the story I wanted to stop on is that you went back and you competed in national wrestling championships. And what age were you when I was you did 56. this? Yeah. Uh, okay, that's... everyone, let's just pause there. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing to me. You know, we've talked before where. Uh, you know, I've identified with you because I, you know, I'm a former high school wrestler. No, not anywhere near the, as accomplished as you are. But, but the thing is, is I, I've always loved that. That's what, that was a pivotal time in my life. It really changed me who I was, the direction I was going, um, and really set so many foundational things in my life as a, that I stand on today as a man. But I would love to think to get back in, <laughs> in, into the ring, into that pit. Right. But I, I'm like <laughs> 56 years old. And, and not only did you get back in there and then you compete that you were awarded such a great honor with that. It, it's just, it's just amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. But, so it, go ahead and con continue telling us about, so you were in the middle of your story about, you know, you, you were a tough guy because of this wrestling championship and like, and you, well, wrestling yeah i've been a life basically a wrestler since 20 you know since i was 13 and that identity changed because i was that weak wimpy kid that was bullied up to that point now i'm a wrestler i'm a soldier i've been deployed all those times uh, been in the combat zones i'm a colonel i've been deputy commander of a hospital I've been the OIC of 21st Combat Support Hospital in Mosul. Now, I'm a tough right. guy. So, so that persona you take on, you don't... So my, my way of life was you, you just push through it. You work harder. And that motto of a wrestler, and Javi understands this, is we just... Carter, we got it out. You know, no matter how hard your lungs are burning, how much your muscles ache, how much your mind says, give up, rest, stop. You just push yourself harder. That's right. what you do. That's the mentality of a wrestler. And that was my mentality. So I, when this was going on, and I'm utterly, totally exhausted, and all the, the insomnia, the negative thoughts, the loss of confidence, the indecision, the impaired cognition. All of this is going on in the background. And I don't have the insight to say, wait, what's happening here? I'm a doctor. And I couldn't see that. Yep. And so we go into the next year, into 2014. I have a little rebound. And then things just plummeted. Pardon me here, I'm messing with that. Things just plummeted. <laughs> and on April 17th, 2014, it was a normal day. I get up, and it was a crisp day in the 50s, nice and clear in Augusta, Georgia. Got up in my normal time about 5.15, had 
uh, you know, groomed quickly, had a short devotions. My wife would get up, fix me a healthy breakfast and hand me my thermos, my lunch, a nice kiss. We'd put our arms around one another and pray for each other. It was out the door. Always got early. I didn't want to fight the traffic, so get early to the office. I was typically the first one on the whole floor. I don't remember I was that day. Walked down that shiny corridor, quiet on the whole floor. Get to my office and lock the door, the outer office where my secretary was, the little refrigerator, turn on all the lights, put my lunch away. Unlock my door. I stepped in. And then I remember. It turned off the lights. I locked the door. Closed the blinds. Turned off my phones. I crawled up under my desk in a fetal position. For four hours, I asked myself, Skip, what are you doing? Skip, how did you get here? What happened? I kept asking myself those questions. And very slowly, I began to put the pieces together. The insomnia, the negative thoughts, the loss of confidence, the indecision. I had become socially withdrawn. The other thing is I had lost my passion. Mm-hmm. The things I love. Wrestling. I didn't to watch my wrestling. I didn't want to coach the boys and normally coach. All the color in my life had gone out. It was like walking through life in black and white. Mm. That mood was so blue. You know, it was this palpable darkness. Like this heavy cloud just sends upon you. And I t- described it to others. It was, it was like being in this deep, dark pit, head in a cloud, and just utterly horrible, alone, slogging through a foot of mud, and way, 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 way down at the end of this tunnel, there's a little speck of yeah. That's That's what it felt like. So over four hours, I slowly began to put those pieces together. And finally, I remember saying to myself, Skip, you're depressed. Go get help. That was April 17, 2014. So I got up, went down to my primary care clinic, asked for the soonest appointment I could get with a clinical psychologist there. They said it would be next week. Made the appointment, went back up to my office, thought, I don't want to wait too much. So I called the chief of behavioral health. Helps that you're a chief of the department, yeah. you're a colonel, he's a colonel. Hey, hey Joe. Explained what was going on briefly. Can you get me an appointment? I had an appointment that afternoon to see a clinical psychologist. So she confirmed a very thorough evaluation and every time i had an appointment with either my clinical psychologist or psychiatrist they always assessed me one of the things they assessed me for was suicide but she did a thorough evaluation at the end said yes this is major depression and then she went on to say my chief 
when I called earlier and I were talking and we feel there is a another therapist that we believe you can work with very, very effectively. And we've set an appointment with him next week that you will start. And I was seeing him for on a weekly basis then for several months, Dr. Uh, Mike Perry, Lieutenant Colonel Mike Perry, and I'll be forever grateful for, to him. Then I was see, saw my PCM, she did a thorough evaluation, ruled out any other medical causes and told me, you know, Dr. Monaghan, I think you should be on some medications. That was about between a month and six weeks after I'd been seeing Mike Perry. And she said, what do you think? And I said, yeah, I agree. So she started medication. Later then, I was seeing a psychiatrist, and he further adjusted those medications. So I tell people I had the A team taking care of me because I, I received. Well, I want to point out on that something really important that number one, you said I couldn't see ahead of time to go do something. I don't, I want our audience to remember if you're listening to this, look, Dr. Mondragon, of course, took action, which a lot of people don't, which is really important. He got help. He got help from professionals, even though he felt like he was a tough guy or he had this persona or he had these things, but you could have taken action. You're saying, Hey, you should be doing this ahead of like before you get to that point. Right. So what would you say to somebody who, I mean, with before, what what point should you have taken action? At what point do you recognize this? And you say, (laughs) I need to do something. So before you get to a point where you're curled up under your office desk, you know, what would you say would be what you, the course of action in hindsight now could have been a better course of action for you, or maybe just maybe have been more helpful in, on your journey. Um, in this case, what have you learned from that part of it? Well, yeah, chapter in my book, I, I, use the principle prevention always trumps rehab yes absolutely and i talk about some injuries i suffered physically because of pride things that i could have prevented and took me months and months and months and months of rehab but could Mm -hmm. have been prevented Mm -hmm. So the hallmark signs, they're the sleep, the impaired cognition, the negative thoughts, what we call in medical terms, negative ruminations. It's like a cow that brings up its cud, chews it, swallows it, ruminates. These negative thoughts are like this endless play loop that just play over in your mind, over, over over again, just mm-hmm. beat you up, becoming socially withdrawn, losing passion for the things that I so love, just loss of joy, you know, all, all these symptoms that were going on to have some right. insight. But that tough guy persona I was in denial. It was this idea, okay, I'm having these problems. I just keep pushing harder. I just keep pushing harder. I just keep pushing harder. So I didn't have the insight to put some of these pieces together. So the idea of prevention trumps rehab is that idea to take, take an assessment periodically. How am I doing? Where are my energy stores, if you will, physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually? That if you can assess those 
on a regular basis and say, how am I doing yeah. here? Right. And if you're seeing those are waning, then you need to step back and say, what do I need to change? What do I need to do to replenish those? Right. I love that. I love that you're saying that take an inventory because it's so important when we don't look at ourselves, we're so busy, especially those of us who look at everybody else all the time. We're like taking care of everyone else or we're in a job that you take care of everyone else or whatever it is. You don't look at yourself as like self-evaluation all the time because you're, it's like that you talk about all the time, babe, this uh, frog in boiling water. You don't, it's like, it's so slow. You don't realize it's like watching your kids grow. You don't realize it until one day you're like, Oh my gosh, like you said, how did you get here? Skip. You know, so we don't, if you're not actively and intentionally, like on purpose, looking at yourself in the mirror and saying, where are you right now? Is this different than where you were six months ago? Is there, has something changed? Is there anything, is there anything you don't like? I mean, uh, you know, I ask people all the time on a scale of one to 10, like, are you happy with where your health is right now? And it's like, you know, we even looked at each other this morning and said the same thing. And we were like, well, <laughs> yeah, if I had to ask myself that, so, you know, some of the things you had said about your persona at the time, you're a tough guy and, and, and what you, what you brought out of wrestling, how you just, you gut it out. You, you just, you tough it out and you get through it. And I think some, a lot of us guys, that's what we hold on to. And, you know, I, I often tell people to get to know their body, to get to know what might be going on and to have a self check, but what we neglect and myself included is we can check our physical, but we don't check our mental. We don't check our spirit mm -hmm. because the, 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 especially with, I think we really with us guys, we're all about our strength and what we could handle and what we, what kind of load we can, we could deal with on a day to day thing. But we shove away those emotions because we think those are irrelevant. We, so we shove them away, we put them away and we don't identify and really address what we're, where we're lacking in our spiritual or mental health. We don't identify those mm -hmm. things until it just comes to a nasty head because you, you there's only so much uh, anybody can take. Yeah. And so absolutely. the more you, more oh, yeah. you shove it down, the more you pile on and pile on, it's eventually going to come out. And unfortunately, a lot of us, it explodes and then we don't know what to do with it. It's out in the open. And, we and now, don't it's too, now it's too late. Now you're like, well, I need help. <laughs> exactly. And you have to go do it. And um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I want to hear more though about, so when you were moving forward, so you went and you got help and you got on medications and things, and I'm assuming obviously you're doing well now. So that worked, but what other things did you start you know, doing in your life? Like what, what, if someone's struggling with this, what could they take away from your experience? What would you impart to them to say, well, yeah, I went and got help and I got on the medications I needed to take, but on this, as far as self-responsibility of, you know, um, really putting in the work and ownership over your own health, what can you really impart there? Well, one of the things is not just do a to-do list, but think about a uh, do not do list, a say no to list. Mm -hmm that I'm a caregiver. I've been a caregiver all my life. I have four younger brothers, I mentioned. Taking care of my brothers as long as I could remember. In my, in my family of origin, I've always been one of the caretakers. 
we have this distinction in the family, although there's only 10 years between my oldest sister and my youngest brother, that the three of us, my sister Roma, my sister Reggie and I, we're the older kids. Yeah. It's always been that way. And really, the two caretakers are really Roma, my oldest sister and me. You know, that that's the roles. And it's always been that role. I took care of my brothers and my family as an adult, take care of the family, take care of my own family, take care of my wife, take care of my patients. In terms of friends, I've always been in that role. I'm I'm a caretaker. That's hardwired into me. But I, I didn't have enough insight to be taking care of myself as well. So you, you talk about that, the idea of not taking care of yourself. So I got a little bit off here. So that, that idea of, of saying no, having a list of things you say no to and not feeling guilty. Right. You know, just, no, you know, make an appointment with things that are important to you, your, your, your exercise, or I'm going to read, or I'm just going to relax, or I'm going to spend time with the people that are important to my life and you schedule those in. And so somebody asked you to do something. Oh no, I'm sorry. I have an appointment or no, I'm not taking that on. The thing about caretakers is we'll, we'll often expend ourselves to our own detriment. Yes. That we oftentimes don't know where to draw the boundary. So that would be one thing. The other is go back to the basics. And, and that's one thing I appreciate about the two of you the importance of sleep, the importance of healthy nutrition, and the importance of regular physical activity. Absolutely. So go back to those. Now, I always exercise, like I said, like a madman. I mean, I exercised hard, and only in retrospect did I understand that I used it to cope with my anxiety. Because if you would have asked me, are you an anxious person? I said, absolutely not. (laughs) I, I self-medicated <laughs> with intense yes, exercise. Absolutely. I so, I so identify, identify with so many things you're saying. So it heightened things. So 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 in retrospect, when I'm laid up because of the surgeries, I'm not yes. able to exercise. And with each time I'm recovering, it just puts me back in my fitness, in my self-image. Gee. You know, stuff got I'm not exercising, I'm getting out of shape, and all of these factors are playing into it. So go back to the basics. The other is look at your what I call your F3, your support. Who's your support team? Your family, your friends, and your mm. faith. You cannot do this alone. And so who's your support team? I also talk about in uh, in my book, a chapter, thanks, coach. I needed that. So we need coaches in our life. Sometimes those coaches are professional. Yep. And sometimes those coaches are people in our lives that scream to us what I call, get your head up. And it's that principle in, in wrestling. And Javi understands this well. And we, young wrestlers are prone to get their head down and on their feet. Yeah, they're going to get taken down. And if they're on the mat, on the, on the bottom position, 
they're very much at risk of being turned over and pinned when their head's down. So we're always yelling to them, keep your head up, get your head up, get your head up. But in life, what happens when we're discouraged, when we're sad, when we're beaten, when we feel horrible? What happens? What happens when we're beat up emotionally, when we're bullied, when we suffer a horrible loss, a major illness, and so forth? You know, emotionally, if, and oftentimes physically, it accompanies our head goes down. So we need people in our corner. We need those mm-hmm. coaches yelling in our corner, keep your head up, keep your head up. So family, friends, and faith. See, because God is telling us, even in Psalm 3, that he's our glory and the lifter. Yes. Of our heads. Wow. I love that. So we have, so we have to have people in our lives telling us and reminding us, keep your head up. See, because the simple act of that strong posture, and the two of you understand that. If this week, what's what's the common posture we see people in with this? Right? <laughs> you know, the weak wimpy posture. Because what happens with that? It drops your cortisol or rather increases your cortisol, drops your testosterone, it increases, decreases your thinking, decreases your strength, your endurance, decreases your immunity. It has all these negative effects. Now you take a strong posture, head up, shoulders back, chest out, you know, that winner's posture, that victorious posture. Testosterone goes up, cortisol goes down, blood pressure goes down, heart rate goes down. Mentation is improved. Strength is improved. Endurance is improved. Immunity is improved. Creativity is improved. All of these things change by changing your physiology. Change your physiology, change your psychology. The two go yes. hand in hand. I totally. That's awesome. So keep your head up. You need people in That's your awesome. corner. Family, friends, and yeah, friends. I wanted to bring up some comments here. So uh, Rachel, thank you for joining us, Rachel. She says, wow, I never made that connection. Amazing. Oh, yeah. And you know what? Uh, that's that's absolutely right. Um, <laughs> CL, CL's here. He says, tell him to talk in Spanish. He crushes it. <laughs> 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 You'll have to share your Spanish with us now. And uh <laughs> Whatever you said, it's beautiful. <laughs> and Monica's here. She says, hello. Yes, thank you. Um, oh, and CL also says, tell Dr. Skip that I said hello and that I pronounce everybody's name, last name now. <laughs> I love that. C- no. CL is famous for calling us the McGriddles. And so now forever... <laughs> We're Javi Jessica McGriddle. Oh, yeah. We're, we're, we're McDonald's breakfast sandwiches. But I'm here for it. It's my That's favorite right. mess up on our name. That's right. <laughs> I so I, 
Well, I'm sure both of us could have uh, stories to tell about. Yeah, and our names are so familiar. So they sound so familiar, like uh, or not familiar, but uh, similar. Uh, Madrigal and Madrigon. And so we, it's funny. A lot of people, a lot of people hear us say it, and they're like, you know, wow, that's so close. Um, but I want to tell you, I identify so much with you with the caregiver thing. I wanted to touch on that just a little bit um, before we let you go because that's so it's so important because when we're, we always talk about letting. Um, you know, making sure you fill your cup because you're not letting yourself go so you can actually take care of people and that hardwired thing. And both of us feel that we're always, we've always been caretakers, all both of us always. And so that's, it works well in our marriage because we take care of each other. But, yeah. you know, it's like that mentality. We, you don't realize that's what's going on with you and that you're really not filling that cup over years and years and years over your life. And it's like one day it's like, yes. okay, that's it. We had a caregiver on um, last, week. last week, actually not, she's a caregiver, but she actually helps caregivers. And she made an extremely interesting mm -hmm. point to me. She said, caregivers often will <laughs> die before the person they're taking care of because of not taking care of themselves and putting to just completely, you know, uh, wipe themselves out with stress and all of it. And yeah. it, it actually is a lot more common than we realize. So it's incredible to me that that is a statistic because I never, it makes so much sense, but I never thought of that. Mm -hmm. And so, um, that putting things on the back burner when you're a guy because you're tough or putting things on the back burner on yourself because you're a mom and that's your job or a caretaker even, no matter what your normal position is, just the role of caretaker, you're just thinking about everybody else. You're not focused on taking care of yourself. So that idea that you said, be sure to be looking for signs of, you know, like you said, the physicality and it, and the, the mental check and the self check and all of these things, be yes. aware yes. of what's going on mm -hmm. with you and your body and your mind. But this idea, like Rachel said, that your physical body being in, um, a different, a whole different stance of physicality determining your mental state is so important to realize that most people don't realize that the things you tell yourself, that science is so present, things you tell yourself, the things you physically do, that even though you don't know how to get out of a situation mentally, your brain does run your body. So you can put things practically into practice, into place in your, in your mind and body. You can say, okay, do this. We're going to do this. We're going to say this. We're going to think this. We're going to write this. And we're going to interact with people this way. And you're going to just do it, even if you don't believe it yet. So something that you said really brought that to mind is it didn't matter if you believed that or not. It's that you said, this is what we're doing mm -hmm. and this will, it will yes, make a change. Yes. It will, it will create a shift at some point. Then you will believe mm -hmm. it. Do you feel like that's what happened for you in this process? I needed to change my mind. Yes. And so I was engaged in cognitive behavior Perfect. therapy. That was the major therapy in, and that is what cognitive behavioral therapy does. It retrains your mind. I love it. And that's what I engaged in with Colonel Mike Perry. So absolutely, people must do this. Take charge, take control, say, yes, I might not feel like this, but so what? I'm still going to do this. I remember sitting on the bed at times with Sherry during the course of my therapy, just feeling still horrible. And we'd be sitting there next to each other, tears streaming down my face. And I remember telling her, honey, I'm going to get better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, honey, it's not always going to be like this. I am going to get better. So yes, um, it can seem like, you know, you're in that pit, you're feeling horribly, you know, whether you're recovering from something like a heart attack, some other horrible illness, some tragedy, but you have to understand that yes, you're going to be better, that you have to help 
get the help of others, enlist the support of others. Don't try the journey yeah. on your own. You can't make it. So that's so that is so right, man. We're we're running uh, close to our time with you. I wish we had more because you have so much, you have so much more to say. But look, if you guys want to go deeper with Dr. Madrigal, he wrote a, a great book. I just got his book. Wrestling depression is not for wimps. I just got his book. I look. I'm really looking forward to it. It's wrestling not for wimps. Dot com. Um, if you want to go deeper with, with him, please get that book. Also, he often goes live on Facebook mm-hmm. and he just, he drops so much of his knowledge. Be sure to follow him on Facebook. Um, that is while well, he's on Facebook and Twitter at skip W N W. You can also find him on LinkedIn at Skip Mondragon. If you're on LinkedIn, if that's your place of choice, you can also find him on there. Again, we really appreciate you. We always love talking to you and uh, we hope we could do this again soon. Well, I was going to say, if, if, if there was one other thing really shortly, if you had to say it to somebody struggling, what would be the very next step for them? If they're just stuck, what would be the next step for them to just break through so they feel like they can actually do this? If they're just like, I cannot break through. Understand you're important. Understand you're never alone. So don't suffer one more day in silence. You owe it to yourself. You owe it to your family. You owe it to your friends. Go get help. I love that. Yes. Yes. Let me leave you with a prescription. Let me put my doctor coat on and leave you with a prescription. I've written this prescription thousands and thousands of times for patients. Proverbs 17.22. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dryeth up the bones. So my prescription for you today, laugh, and laugh hard. I love that. And, and that's something that. that we do all the time. We, mm-hmm. we absolutely, um, you know, we, I know we were really serious today and, and, and a lot of times when we're talking about some of these things, it's kind of heavy, but, um, and, and we've talked before just privately about how humor is such a huge part, um, of our journey. Mm-hmm. And we got jokes over here. So like everything we go through, <laughs> we're always joking about it. We're always, we have such a twisted sense of humor. Sometimes when you've gone through a lot of medical stuff, like you just do, you know, doctor, like you just, uh, you just get this crazy sense of humor that, you know, you just, not everybody understands, <laughs> but it's just something that it gets you through. It keeps you aware of your, of, you know, of your perspective and kind of takes you out of that dark place and that tunnel vision. Yes, and it's yes. so, it's such a great method to just, you know what, lighten up and just say, all right, what is really happening here? And kind of, how do I look at this? And like, how could I just look at this differently and from a different perspective. So uh, I love what you said that the merry heart, cause it's like, you know, exactly right. Anytime I'm laughing or finding something that's humorous to me, just totally pulls me out of that. And uh, even just on the small moments. So I thank you for that. Well, thank you so much for being with us. This was been an amazing, uh, not disappointing at all interview. I, I was like excited for it and you did not disappoint. This was amazing. I cannot wait to have you back. Uh, you know, we'd love to have you back on sometime. And, uh, cause there's so much, I mean, gosh, we didn't even probably touch on half of it. So I, you're, you have so much to offer. Oh, and the, there was, um, one other thing, uh, you know, cause you're, you're a busy guy. 
<laughs> That's the thing, man. You're, you're, yeah. I see you everywhere. You're doing so many things and it, it's just great to see you. What, what's coming up? Well, thank you for asking, Javi. I am currently working to craft a TED talk. So I'm working with a gentleman and his uh, colleague to prepare a TED talk. So late this year, I will be presenting a TEDx talk. Awesome. That, that's oh great. So make sure you're following him. Make sure uh, to stay tuned. I think you're going to get so much out of this TED talk that's coming up. I know that I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So yeah, make sure to follow him. And, uh, and you know, I'm sure he likes all the interaction and comments. Make sure to drop a comment on his Facebook and that you saw him here mm -hmm. and uh, just let him know, spread your love to him. I appreciate that. All right. Thank you so much, Skip. We absolutely appreciate having you on and we will see you next time. Bye. Thank, Thank you. you. God bless. God bless. Oh my gosh. Can you, I can't even imagine how we could possibly fit everything he has in one interview. Like we have to. Have no, no, exactly right. No, it was, it was great. He has so many other things that uh, we could go deeper on and uh, he has so many things that we could learn from and build from. It, it is yeah. such a great man. He's the kind of guy I just want to have dinner with and be like, okay, listen, let's just chat for like three hours. We're <laughs> right. never leaving the restaurant. Yeah. And uh, just because all the stories, I want to know all his stories, you know, don't you want to know all his stories? And, uh, you know, I want to know more about his wrestling stories. I know you do. Yeah. yeah, you do. He's like, you guys are wrestling geeks together. Like it's like geek out on all the wrestling things. Every time he says something about wrestling, you're like, oh, yes. Well, I totally you know, I, to be honest, to be honest, I'm like, uh, I'm like, Uncle Rico in that way. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uncle Rico is that guy that dreams about his living out his, his high school years and, and yeah. living out, you know, his <laughs> little sports career and things like that. But for me, wrestling was that it was that pivotal moment. It, it, it just put so many things in my life, but yeah. you know, just being a, you know, crazy teenager and life being the way it is, it, you know, I, I knew I could have taken it further, but I didn't, it just didn't work. It didn't work out for me that way, but I still don't look at that as to the lessons it taught me, yeah. you know, everybody, everything I stand for is that, that underdog spirit, yep. because just like Dr. Madrigan, we, we had so many obstacles, our size, um, our, you know, our, economic class or whatever we were found ourselves in, we were picked on and we were overlooked. And it wasn't until wrestling that people started paying attention. And, and you started paying attention to yourself. And I started yeah. paying attention to myself. And I really started to believe who I was yeah. through wrestling. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so, so that's yeah. a really cool thing for yeah. you. I know that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I, I love that when Dr. Mondragon comes on, you just light up. So it's, yeah. I love that. So exactly. listen, um, Absolutely. Uh, um, what? Go ahead. You were no, going to say something. No, no, go finish what you're saying. Well, I was going to say, absolutely uh, excited for uh, this to come out on our podcast, but where can they find our podcast? Yeah, exactly. So, for, well, first of all, if you want to uh, catch some of our lives, we are both live like th this today, um, and we have a podcast, but you can find our, our video podcast on Facebook backslash heart to uh, art of an underdog and then you can fi find our podcast on www.heartofanunderdog.com hey and so let everybody know also 
uh, about our free community. Oh, yeah. See, I, my wife has to guide me through all these things because <laughs> I, I forget. We're, we're doing so we're, many... What are we doing? I don't doing know. Doing so doing. many things. I can't keep up. Anyway, no, look, if you want to take these things deeper, we, you know, we're, we're on here every Saturday morning and we're talking about extracting that underdog within us. And we bring forward people like the doctor here that helps us extract that. By through his story, through his story, we bring on other underdogs that have overcome so many different things. And but if you want to take that further with us, if you want to surround yourself with like-minded people with that same type of mentality, we developed a free Facebook group that is adapt and overcome our health. So that is Facebook.com backslash groups, backslash adapt and overcome your health. Absolutely. And the thing is, is that we have a lot of different things going on in that group. We have, uh, you know, nutrition and fitness challenges. We have our live morning show that we go in there and uh, talk about our faith. There's all kinds of things for you to take advantage of in their resources, but also the community itself is such an amazing resource. So make sure you jump into that. It's free. Exactly. And there's one other thing that's going on. I want you to mention too about our academy. Oh yeah. So right now we actually have our academy uh, is open. Our, we have um, open seats in our academy. We, there's a limited amount of seats. So when they are filled, they are filled. Um, and uh, this is our Elite Ninja Academy group coaching program. So make sure you jump on that. If you need accountability, you need uh, a coach, you need people to walk through this journey with you. If you're facing some major uh, health issue or a health challenge, or you're just, you've hit a wall with your health and you're like, I don't know where else to go. I need help. I can't quite get to the other side side of, you know, my, these roadblocks that I'm at, you know, we really want to walk with you hand in hand, step-by-step step, through that process with your nutrition, with your fitness, with your stress management, and all of the other things that come along with a health journey that people don't talk about. You know, everyone talks about nutrition and fitness, but we don't talk about all the mental and, you know, and like relationship struggles that happen when we're walking through these things. It takes over your life. So there's all these little intertwined things that happen and we're here for it. We're here to help you work through those roadblocks so that you can have that life you ultimately want to have get unstuck and be thriving instead of just simply surviving right. so make sure you jump on to um, a message with us messenger you can you can email me uh whatever it is that you want to do to uh to contact us make sure you reach out and then we'll schedule an interview for you to make sure you're a good fit for that program all righty so it's been such a great time today it just this last hour just flew by yeah, but hey i i hope you guys got something out of today if you did please hit like and look share this share this with your friends and family always do that i we would really appreciate that um and we just we just uh love your guys' support we appreciate your guys' support i i, I don't want to go let a minute go by and say that because um we really do appreciate everyone's support Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us today. And we will see you next week on the Heart of an Underdog. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.